We are in a series that uh, I have contemplated doing for many years. A series on uh, the, the theology, if you will, of music and worship and in discipleship. Uh, something that I am very familiar with. I, I began uh, uh, my congregational ministry in music ministry. And... Um, uh, believe that a great deal of what happens in, um, in Christians' lives are more geared to the songs they sing than to the scriptures they read. Now, part of that is because we don't memorize scripture anymore, and part of that is because we don't sing the scriptures, which is the best way to memorize them. So last week, uh, I began this series with the introduction of the origin of music in the book of uh, Genesis. Um, and the use of formal worship at the tabernacle, and the uh, lyrics to the Song of Moses that was done at the Exodus. And I talked about three types of instruments, string instruments, wind instruments, and percussion instruments that have always been used as part of the worship of, of our God. Uh, but they are supplemental, and they are an accompaniment to the voice, which is the primary uh, priority, if you will, of praise and worship of God. We also looked at the typology of uh, Paul uh, in, in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the text that, that was just read. I want you to look at another uh, uh, verse that's related to that, Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and with thankfulness in your hearts. Uh, whatever you do, in deed or word, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. These two passages are uh, pretty significant in their uh, incorporating music, uh, into uh, our knowing the word and incorporating it into what we say and do. Uh, and I think that that is really uh, not understood in our entertainment music-oriented uh, culture. Um, uh, traditional culture's music weaves through a soundtrack of the life uh, and focuses on that in our culture. Uh, music is about... Uh, being uh, entertained. And the minute we think that music is boring, we tune it out, which shows our shallowness, not the uh, quality of the music in many cases. Paul uses three words here. He uses psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, if you look at the text uh, in its original language, uh, the psalms actually is a word that means to strike the string. It's what I do every, every service. But it's the idea of singing scripture in a tonal sense, in a chant sense, in a singing sense, uh, uh, so that it is learned and memorized. Uh, the second one is hymns. Hymns are uh, anthem-type songs that are used uh, to demonstrate who God is. They talk of God's character and they talk of his acts, what God has done. Uh, and then there are spiritual songs. And spiritual songs tend to be a little more folksy, a little more personal. They tend to be more geared to testimony and, uh, and to reinforcement and encouragement 
of spiritual themes and spiritual issues. We're going to see uh, that uh, today when we look at today's uh, message. So today I want to focus on formal worship or communal worship. Uh, We will talk later in the series about individual use of music. Uh, And uh, I want to talk specifically about um, the hymnal. So I'm hoping you all still have your hymnal with you or it's nearby. Uh, You're going to need it for for this this message. Uh, Probably most of you have never heard a message on the hymnal. Um, we are having to do things that we never had to do in church before. There used to be an expression. Uh, I've done that ever since I was knee-high to a hymnal. Uh, that expression has no meaning to anybody anymore. Uh, but children traditionally grew up in services watching adults worship. Adults tended to have a Bible in their hand, a prayer book in their hand, and a hymnal in their hand. And those three books became the the education, if you will, and the discipleship training of people. And it was the content of the scriptures and the hymnal and the prayer book that became the substance of people's faith. Today it's uh, mostly testimonies, sermons, and, and very shallow songs. Uh, uh, partly the result of the Jesus movement of the 1960s and partly the dumbing down of uh, Christians' Uh, towards a more entertainment style of worship. Uh, We'll talk about that. So what is a hymnal? A hymnal is an organized and written collection of of songs. And they may be, some some hymnals um, only have the lyrics, they only have the words. uh, Because many of these hymns can be sung to different uh, songs for the purpose of changing the mood. And I'll talk about that later. Uh, songs are supposed to express mood, not create mood. In an entertainment manipulative society, we use music to create a mood. Uh, and the scriptures use music to express a mood. Uh, and that's why the scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What we do is we try to tell those who are mourning to cheer up and we tell those who are rejoicing to knock it off because we just don't have a biblical worldview. We have a, an American worldview and the American worldview uh, tends to not want anything to uh, be too difficult or, or, uh, or to hurt um, in that context. So a hymnal then can be just a book of words, or it can be the music uh, and the lyrics together, um, as ours are. A hymnal is often associated with a specific group within Judaism or Christianity. In most cases, prayer books have stayed pretty common. Bibles are pretty common, though there are some now, because of all the versions, there are versions that one congregation or one denomination may use over another. Uh, that normally was part of the hymn, hymnology. Uh, and the reason for that is that, that doctrinal variances uh, based on interpreting the scriptures tended to be expressed through the hymns and through the lyrics of the hymns. Uh, so, a hymnal may be distinct from a prayer book 
uh, often it serves as the prayer book. And, and in many hymnals, there are prayers and responsive readings. It works as the prayer book and as, as the song book. Now, what was the first hymnal? Well, the very first hymnal, uh, you have been carrying around for a long time. The first hymnal used by Israel and by the church is the book of Psalms. Now, technically, it's not the book of Psalms. There are five books of Psalms. And those books are divided up into groupings that are used for association with other groupings of five. The five books of Moses, and you can see a connection between the first book of Psalms and the, and the book of Genesis. But there's also a series of books that are read historically in liturgical congregations, and that is Song of Solomon, uh, the book of Esther, the book of Ruth, those books that are read at certain holy days in their totality. And there are five of those, five Megillot, uh, the, uh, the old expression some of you may know, the whole Megillah, meant you had to read the whole thing. Are we reading the whole Megillah? Yeah. And then, of course, when I was a kid or when my kids were a kid, were kids, there was a cartoon called Megillah Gorilla. And, uh, you know, uh, after that, nobody knew what a Megillah was because uh, they didn't get the, the, the notion. Now, I want you to take whatever Bible you use. Uh, most Bibles set out the distinctions of uh, the book of Psalms. So turn to Psalm 1. And if your uh, Bible says uh, at Psalm 1, you know, I should have used my other Bible. If it says book 1 and then Psalm 1, then you have a Bible that has the five books uh, of Psalms there. Many King James Bibles and some other translations don't put the books there. So book 1 is from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. If you look at Psalm 42, Psalm 42, the one that many of us know from the song, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Uh, Psalm 42 through 72 is book 2 of Psalms. And then in Psalm 73, you should see a statement that says book 3 and Psalm uh, 3 uh, is from 73 to 89. And then in Psalm 90, your Bible should say book 4. And then in Psalm 107, it should say book 5. Those are the books of uh, the Psalms. And that structure has a major practical holy day and liturgical use. I can't talk about it today. I'll talk a little bit about it later. But if you're interested in this, there's an, a very rich amount of material, both in Judaism and Christianity, on the, uh, on the hymnology that comes out of the Psalms. Um, now, in Matthew chapter 26... We're coming up on Holy Week and Passover. Jesus and his disciples observe these holy days. And in, Saul, in Matthew 26, 
uh, verse 30. Uh, we are told at the end of the Passover meal, the end of the Last Supper, at the end of that Seder, uh, during Passover week uh, of that year, the scripture says that they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so we see that at the time of Jesus, the use of music, both corporately and privately, is specifically used in the liturgy and the uh, celebration of the Holy Days. Uh, and the, the use of those hymns, uh, clearly established uh, from the tabernacle, were continuing to be used in the synagogues and in the individual uh, homes, and in this case, the upper room. Now, the early believers certainly used traditional psalms and hymns and spiritual songs borrowed from Judaism of their time. But it's, it's not hard to imagine that there would be uh, some ad adaptation because we see within the sects of Judaism, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, Zealots, various religious sects of the time, uh, they had slight different hymnology. And so we would expect that to happen among the early believers in Jesus or Yeshua as well. And then to begin to include in those things, not only adaptations, but entire new songs uh, and hymns and anthems, if you will, that uh, would be sung together. Now there is one found in our scriptures. If you'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. There is a confession that was common. It's, it's done in a lyric style, a poetry lyric style, obviously sung in the worship services. Uh, that was the common confession uh, of the mystery of godliness or the incarnation, the coming of the Messiah. He who was revealed in the flesh, as we say in our version by uh, incarnation, was vindicated in the spirit, as we say in our version of this, the resurrection, seen by messengers, uh, the apostles of the Lord, proclaimed among the nations, uh, both to the Jew first and also to the Greek, believed on in the world, many from the nations and from Israel believed, and he was taken up into glory, from there he shall return. So what you get is this essence of reinforcement of the truths that are believed in the community that are sung. They're sung with simple song tunes, so that children begin to pick it up. And you know what happens when a simple song gets locked in your head, because you've all fought desperately to get It's a Small World out of your head. I, the only way I've been able to do it is it's the same chord progression as God is so good. You know that song? So while they're singing, uh, it's a small world after all. I'm singing, God is so good. And then I can move myself out of It's a Small World uh, to God is so good. And that's an easier song for me to drop. Um, so, uh, yeah, with the tune. Because I can go on to other things. Because God is so good leads me to uh, praise him, praise him. Uh, to God be the glory, great things he had done. And once I get into a concert... I'm away from it's a small world, right? And uh, I don't even want to tell you what I have to do to get rid of 
there was blood on the saddle, uh, which many of you don't know anymore because it's no longer at Disneyland, but that song wouldn't leave me alone either. Um, So, uh, the use of small, short song lyrics with, with music became the way to catechize and to instruct and reinforce. Remember, the early religious communities did not have Bibles. So the Bible would be pulled out of the ark, the scriptures pulled out of the ark, both the Torah scrolls and the prophet scrolls read before the people. Then the gospels began to be brought out and read before the people. Actually, they were paraded in more than brought out of the ark. So you had two traditions, one of bringing it out of the ark and one of parading it in, which is still used in liturgical churches today. And there would be readings of those scriptures and then they would be explained. That was the homily or the sermon. And what people would begin to do was memorize those things and in the music, they would memorize even more. And so that's that's what this tradition is. So hymns have been found uh, in all of church history. The oldest so-called hymn that is still uh, in use, particularly in the, in the Eastern Church, uh, tied to a very simple chant. And in, a, in, a, in, in weeks to come, I'm going to play some of these chants for you so that you can hear how, how the connection between the singing of Scripture, the saying of prayers, and the singing of praise uh, all tie together in that context. Now, you're more familiar with it than most because we're liturgical and we draw on Jewish and Christian uh, traditions. But, but in many of our uh, fellow congregations, these things are lost. Um, and they've been lost in the last 40 uh, or 50 years. Uh, Baptists, uh, among the free church tradition, which is our connection, uh, follows a hymn, hymnology just like the Eastern Church, just like the Roman Catholic Church, just like the Protestant Reformed Churches. While technically we're not Protestants, technically we're not Reformed. Some Baptists are Reformed. Some need Reforming. That's a side issue. The idea is that uh, each of the traditions have a hymnology that has a common origin that then develops within the context of theirs. So Baptists emerged in Europe uh, in the, uh, right around the time of the, the Reformation and then uh, came to America in 1639. 1639, there were, were Baptist types uh, in the New World. In 1640, the Puritans published what was called the Bay Psalm Book. Uh, I tried to get a copy of it. Uh, uh, The best I could get was print out a facsimile. Um, It was published in 1640. It was an English translation of the five books of the Psalms to be used for singing in the congregations. And it was printed in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and actually was the very first book ever printed in the uh, the new uh, colonies at that time. Uh, And that book was even used by Baptists, uh, uh, even though uh, they uh, didn't have their own. Um, And then in the 1750s through 1776 a date you might be familiar with, uh, but maybe not, you know. Uh, There was a hymnal published that was the first Baptist hymnal. 
It was entitled Hymns and Spiritual Songs. Now think about it. They already have the Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs. They're drawing directly from the biblical text for this worship structure uh, that they're doing. Now, there were 138 songs in this hymnal. 16 of them were related to baptism. 74 of them were related to the Lord's Supper. Clearly a Baptist hymnal, those ordinances. And there were 48 related to other celebrations and themes. Um, This organization around the holy days of the religious calendar and the life cycle events which is a notion tied directly to Judaism, is obvious in all of the hymnals. So, that brings us to hymnals today. And uh, I want you to take a look at at ours. But let me first say to you, traditionally, if you'd gone into a traditional church, you would see right in front of you in the pew, uh, usually a pew Bible and a hymnal. Sometimes a, a prayer book as well. The, the little trays were made for two, three, or four books. And that was part of that context. Sometimes they had a little place for the communion cup. There was usually a pencil holder uh, and those kind of things. And kids would take those into visitor's cards and draw while the service was going on. So uh, what, what you did was you didn't have to bring your own prayer book. You didn't have to bring your own... Uh, uh, hymnal, but you had to bring your own Bible. Uh, but if you were a visitor, there was a pew Bible available to you. Uh, that has begun to uh, to go away as modern churches have these huge projectors uh, and the lights and the camera and the action and all that kind of stuff with not a sanctuary but a uh, entertainment stage that becomes their structure. And so what happens now is words to, that are being sung are placed up on the screen, sometimes in correct order, very often not in correct order, or different words than what the congregation is singing uh, because somebody you know, got the slides from somewhere else. Um, I think this is a problem. I think it's a problem for uh, three reasons. And I'll talk about this more later. First, there's a loss of having a common hymnology. One of the problems I have when I go to other congregations is half the time I don't know what they're singing. Uh, I'm comforted by the fact that most of them don't know what they're singing either. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't feel completely out of place. But it's very seldom that I'll hear a song that is one of the traditional hymns of the faith And therefore, the the historical context and the hymnology of the faith is missing. Secondly, there's a loss of of music liturgy. Um, The hymnal is written, we'll talk about this later in the series, but it's written for four-part singing. This this particular one that we have is not. It's written for accompaniment. But in most cases, people learn to read music uh, in the churches. And uh, the schools then picked that up and then dropped it and picked it up and dropped it and picked it up and dropped it, depending on the budget wins. Uh, And therefore, uh, when the churches stopped doing this, a musical literacy uh, came across this nation, illiteracy came across this nation. I think that's a problem. The third one is that the spiritual songs, uh, the choruses, 
um, which were originally used somewhat like uh, dessert or candy among the hymns and the psalms to, to, uh, to richen, became the sole substance like junk food and like fast food and like uh, sweet processed foods. Uh, and the more meaty hymns and the more substantial psalms got dropped. And what, what you have now are very, very uh, shallow uh, theological content that's going on. Now, this has also happened with biblical literacy. When somebody puts a Bible verse up here from eight different translations and just flashes them up while they're doing their sermon, there is no way to read the context. There is no way to see what that biblical text is actually talking about. And so what happens is people simply don't bring their Bibles anymore. And so biblical literacy and hymnal literacy is rapidly uh, dropping among a younger uh, uh, population. And I I find that uh, problematic. So uh, I will talk about that more in the series, but I want us to look today at our our own hymnal. So uh, you have in your hands the celebration hymnal. Uh, at the last congregation I was at, we used the Baptist hymnal. Uh, the Baptist hymnal was replaced. Uh, there were things about it that uh, I liked, things about it I didn't like. That's always the problem when, when there's a new edition of anything. If you're comfortable with it, you don't like the changes. And if you uh, uh, are uncomfortable with it, you find a couple changes you like, and then you go to it and then find out there are things you don't like later, right? Uh, that's everything's got that. Uh, when we were looking for a hymnal for the Disciple Center, I was looking for something that would uh, draw both from the rich tradition of hymns and incorporate the more recent spiritual songs that had come out of the Jesus movement and to some extent the Messianic movement and the Charismatic movement, the, the better of those that would be useful for us. And the uh, Celebration Hymn seemed to do that. And the, and the editors of the Celebration Hymn also had a sense of what uh, hymnology is about. So I'd like you to uh, open it up to the foreword, uh, right, just right at the beginning. There's a, a dust page and then the title page, and then you'll see the foreword. And on the second page of the foreword, uh, a section that's written actually by Jack Hayford, uh, and then this passage that we uh, we looked at in Colossians is there. I want to read that to you. I want you to read uh, read along with your eyes while I read it, because I want you to catch this. First, you will find an unprecedented resource of theme series of songs, which have proved to bring a blend and a flow in praise that brings rejoicing to gatherings of believers. This is no ordinary hymnal. It is a marvelous collection of musical resources conceived and arranged in ways that fulfill a call to creativity which Jesus himself issued. He said to them, Every teacher instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings both new things and old things out of his treasure storehouse. And that's really the Judeo-Christian context that we try to do, drawing the best from our historical past in Judaism and Christianity, taking the best of the contemporary and weaving them together based on biblical themes. So he says, don't just sing from this book, strategize with it. The abundance of worship resources is, a fruit, is, is the fruit of a pursuit. 
These are strategic means to revitalize, energize, and maximize the possibilities of some of the richest music of all time from today and from yesterday. Second, uh, be assured that nothing here is offered in a socially causal sense of celebration. That's that more entertainment, oh, I like that, I'll give it an 80, I can dance to it kind of thing. Um, or, uh, well, I won't say what I say because we're recording this. Um, um, so expect to find depth and dimension here, a richness in context that bypasses the superficial and moves towards the significant. These pages contain spiritual resources designed to bring all who want to worship God towards a genuine entry into his presence, to bow before an awesome living and loving father. He is the founder of our song. It's to him we come. His Son is the foundation of our song. It's to Him we praise. His Spirit is the fountain of our song, so we drink of Him. So he says, may the celebration hymnal be an instrument in your hands to assist you in new planes of praise and into new wonders in worship. And then, of course, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, not in shallowness, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Uh, so that, that's important. Now, there are two other paragraphs I want you to, to see in this hymnal. They're in the preface. So just turn the next page over and you'll see the preface. And they're the third and fourth uh, paragraphs. <clears throat> says, on, upon these pages you will find classic hymns of the church. Beloved gospel songs, well-known inspirational songs, as well as contemporary praise and worship songs, woven together with a thread of scripture. In other words, you will find the tools for a blended worship. And more and more churches grow in their appreciation and use of both functional, foundational hymns of the faith and newer praise. Um, uh, blended worship increasingly manifests in nearly every denomination, is a guiding force behind the design of this hymnal. Celebration hymnal has been created for churches who cherish their rich heritage while eagerly welcome the future. Ultimately, um, the usefulness of a hymnal for corporate worship hinges on two major factors, song selection and practical features. We trust you will find the celebration hymnal to be both unique and commendable in both critical areas. Selections uh, were included in the compilation on the basis of their textual integrity, musical interest, utility in worship, and universal usage by today's evangelical church. As a non-denominational, multi-published uh, resource. Now, non-denominational there doesn't mean what most people mean when they say non-denominational. What they mean here is interdenominational, used by multiple denominations, not the rejection of denomination. What they're doing is saying we have to make sure that various perspectives are included in the context so that any of the denominations can make use of this. Uh, uh, the compilation was influenced solely by a requirement to provide congregations with the strongest possible collections of songs and hymns. Now, if you just turn the next page, you'll see the table of context, and I want you to look at this. You'll see some themes. Songs and hymns for worship, uh, sectioned off as praise or exalting the Lord or blessing the Lord or glorifying the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, uh, opening songs and closing songs, um, uh, the life of Christ, and you'll see the basic religious calendar there, 
the Holy Spirit, the living church, uh, new life in Christ, walking with God and those kinds of things. Everlasting fellowship, those are the ones related to the, uh, the second coming and the end of time. And then special seasons. And because this is an American one, you will see the uniquely American Christian holy day of Thanksgiving. And then you will see some that are related to the influence of Judaism and Christianity on this country with many of the hymns that are sung around 4th of July or those kinds of uh, issues. Um, now, the indexes are interesting. Hymns traditionally were known by their first line. And in most Baptist hymnals, that's what they're called. And then they were given titles. And some people know them by their titles. And some people know them by their first line. And the indexes in the back allow you to search either way. You can search by theme. You can search by title. You can search by the first line. And uh, that assumes some level of memorization. Now, what I want to do is I want to go through and show you psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs found in this. In, the, in weeks in the future, we're going to go through them. We're going to sing some of them. We're going to look at the scriptures. And we're going to criticize where they uh, took liberties with, with biblical texts and where uh, they are based on biblical texts. All of our hymnology must be either scripture sung or scripture-based, or scripture context. And that's really important that you evaluate all the songs that you use and sing and worship with in that context. Because the power of music to change your perspective, just like a movie, can change your perspective. I don't know how many times people have quoted to me Scenes from the Ten Commandments as if they happened in the Bible. And often those things didn't happen in the Bible. Uh, or from the Passion. The Passion is just scripture. Really, show me the verse where Jesus fell as a child and Mary picked him up. Now, I don't doubt that may have happened, but there's no text for it. And show me the one where he invented the tall table. And Mary kind of chides him for this tall table. There's an enormous amount of stuff that we begin to pick up and reinforce and we begin to think it's real. Just like the lie you've told for so many years that now you think that story really happened. That's the issue of memory and that's why we have to be careful with truth and memory. Uh, because there's truth and consequences to truth and memory. So, we're going to do a little hymnal drill. You remember Bible drill, you go back and forth. I could have made these easy for you, but I didn't want to do that. So, turn to 708. We're going to look first at Psalms, the direct singing of Scripture. In Psalm one, in uh, hymn one, uh, 708, we have, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. <coughs> Excuse me. That we should be called the children of God or the sons of God. Here it's a simple song uh, that could be used with the strumming of a guitar or a lyre or any of the string instruments that allows people to sing scripture in that context. This is from 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. It's almost, uh, ab it's almost taken specifically from the King James Bible. Now one of the things you'll notice is that certain biblical texts and the King James, certainly because of its historicity, uh, becomes the foundation for many psalms and hymns and songs and becomes somewhat problematic 
because people don't speak King James anymore. And a lot of the hymns haven't been updated. Some have, but not all of them. Then turn to uh, hymn number 55. Back to the other end of the book. Here we have Psalm 103, verse 1, put to to music. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Then tied to this is he has done great things. Because if you read that psalm, it tells all the things he's done. But instead of putting all of those into verses, they simply said he has done great things. And then back to, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then uh, a song that we uh, sing every once in a while, hymn 764. Uh, the trees of the field. Uh, this is from Isaiah fifty-five twelve. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. See the King James there. Um, the mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy, and all the trees of the field will clap. Will clap their hands. Now the words, yeah, hard not to do that. The words are um, adapted, uh, and if you'll look down at the bottom of the page, you'll see that this was uh, put to music. Uh, by uh, Stuart Dowerman. Stuart's been uh, among us here uh, at the Disciple Center. I thought Stuart's such an excellent musician. He really gets both the Jewish and Christian hymnology. I've thought about inviting him down for one of these series to to basically talk to us from the keyboard and uh, and address some of the songs that he's written and and the the struggle that he does in in trying to do that because he he really gets it. Uh, maintaining the old and and the freshness of the new in that context. Now, those we would call psalms because they are direct singing of Scripture. But what about hymns? Well, a hymn that is very well known and understood is hymn number three. Back to the other is uh, hymn number three. Uh, this hymn is based on Isaiah chapter six and Revelation chapter four where the throne room of God and the worship and the liturgy that's going on 24-7 around God is done and used in Jewish Christian of all ilks, the, the, the claiming of God's holiness, holy, holy, holy. Uh, and, and it is done in every language and it's done in every context, uh, drawing that kind of majestic worship of God um, very hard not to have a sense of the sacred uh, when when you hear when you hear this uh, sung. Uh, then in in page thirty nine, uh, it's not thirty nine. It's one thirty nine. Sorry, one thirty nine. Hymn 139. Uh, another of the major hymns, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Now this, this hymn, uh, the words are fantastic. I want us to stop just for a second and, and look at that. If you look at the first verse, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Now, from everlasting to everlasting, 
Behold, thou art God. They, they are weaving biblical texts together in this context. Not actually singing the biblical text, but using biblical text. This is biblically based. And its primary statement, uh, Great is thy faithfulness, comes from the book of Lamentations. Fascinating. If you know the book of Lamentations, it's the book of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the complete loss and abandonment. It is filled, filled with terrible sorrow. And in the midst of that comes this chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, uh, about the great faithfulness of God, no matter what has happened. God is faithful, morning by morning, new mercies I see. So, uh, fantastic. Now, the second verse uh, talks about the creation of God and all his provision in that context. Uh, And then the third one talks specifically about the benefits of those who have uh, have come to faith in God. Pardon for sin. And a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. That's not something, some little ditty someone put together. These are thought through. These are, these are the things that our children and our disciples need to know because it ties those scriptures together. And and if you know the scriptures well, those verses just start bouncing off in your head when you sing these songs. And when you read the scriptures, these songs start coming to mind and they tie together, linking together in that context. And the last uh, one of these, uh, 347 of the hymns, uh, we're going to be looking at many of these, and I'm hoping that you'll be looking through the hymnal and uh, bring to uh, our discussions that we'll have uh, in the future uh, your own. There's a there's a song that we use uh, traditionally on our darkness service, at our crucifixion service, done in a beautiful uh, setting um, by um, um, uh, a cappella group. What's their name? Glad. Yes. Um, and and just um, closes out that service uh, with with a understanding of the act of God of sending His Son on the cross for us. Uh, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? That, that, that's an incredible uh, uh, text and setting uh, to be reinforced. So these, these hymns, these anthems are about the the attributes of God. He is holy. He is faithful. And the works of God. He is creator. He is redeemer. He is the, the one who raises the dead. Those, those things are, are really important. Now there are spiritual songs uh, as well. These are testimonials. And they are songs that encourage and reinforce us. The first one I want you to look at. And we'll go into it in more detail later in the series. Is hymn 705. 
It is well with my soul. When, uh, when I was a Youth for Christ director, uh, trying to be cool with the youth, uh, everybody would sing this, It is swell with my soul. Um, you know, trying to tie it in. It didn't, it didn't quite work. Um, now, this is a song of somebody's testimony. And it was written, uh, many of you may know the story behind this written by a man who lost his family in, in a ship uh, sinking and went out to that place uh, where his family had gone down. Uh, and from that experience, pen these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, easy to sing it as well with my soul when peace like a river is attending your way. The hard part is to sing these songs in front of a casket at a grave. And many of you have done this and we have certainly done this. And there is a comfort. There is an assurance. There is a testimony that comes through this. He didn't write his testimony. He wrote our testimony. And that's the difference between a great spiritual song and a little ditty that everybody sings while they shake their butt for Jesus in, in, a, in a worship service. That's my phrase that I usually use that I wasn't going to say, but I said it. <laughs> I've watched the mindlessness of people as they sing along with the songs. They have no idea what they're saying and singing. They're just into it. And that same thing happens at dance clubs and the same thing happens there. They're not focused on worship. I'll talk about that another time. Another song that is so well beloved that it is used in national uh, funerals, particularly with, uh, with first responders, is 343. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Now everybody loves that first and fifth verses. Uh, I love verse. I love two and four. Let me let me just say those. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. And if you've walked with the Lord any time at all, verse 4 has to become your testimony. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. These songs are froth with with, uh, with scriptural content uh, so that they become the testimony of the church.
And then one that I heard week after week after week after week in the black church. Uh, those churches know how to sing hymns. The danger is in all of us is learning how to sing hymns but not how to live hymns. We don't come and sing them and then go live differently. If we sing them and live differently, our singing mocks God. But if we use it to reinforce how we should walk and then walk that way, we then put life and legs to the hymns. Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. I mean, I, hear, I can hear it singing. I hear all the voices. Uh, I'm hearing voices. <laughs> They're good voices. 692. Through days of toil, when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. Dr. Lambeth and I have been uh, working on archaic words that are in the scriptures and trying to update them. And every once in a while he says something that is very wise. They just need to learn that word. The, 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 the lack of vocabulary is a problem. And it robs people of rich text. Uh, so yes, some of these things are wooden and stilted, if you will. But they're important words to learn. And we need to teach our children how to interpret those. So that they can sing them with knowledge. Not just sing them with, I, I like the tune or I don't like the tune. Um, verse 4. No matter what may be the test... God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon his breast. That's what John did on the Last Supper. Those biblical texts are there. And they, 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 they come screaming forward when you know the text. Otherwise, this is just, you might, be, might as well be singing in another language. Now, what happens now is that this hymnal takes traditional biblical text and lyrics attached to traditional uh, Renaissance and classical music, and then adds contemporary music, tries to update the tune somewhat, and put new songs, as the scripture commands us in the Bible, sing to him a new song. I'm going to talk about these, but I want, I'm hoping that you will look through your own uh, hymnals at home, uh, some of the songs that come to mind and that in the future we're gonna, I'm going to do just a brief intro. Then we're going to turn off the recorder and we're going to have conversation and singing to, uh, to go through the hymnal. Uh, and to uh, re regain some of what's been lost. Remind us of things that, that we need to be reminded of and maybe explore uh, new territory as well. So the hymnal is an important tool in our discipleship, both corporately and individually and in our homes. And I hope that you'll make use of it and this series will help you uh, to engage the hymnology of Judaism and the church will be bringing in some of the, the Jewish hymnals as well uh, in the series. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer.